0: This is Talk Is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Come along as we take conversations that matter to you into the high alpine.
1: Mr. Hamilton,
0: Mr. Stelter, rocking so, the stone plate you are rocking the stone glacier hat today. What's going on with that?
1: Yeah, well, it, this is a. Uh, so you wouldn't know about this, but some of us uh, that attended the life member breakfast at the Wild Sheep Foundation this year got these oh. so got these cool oh. hats. Why well, so, didn't I get one brought back for me? I was I was because uh, you have to pay you have to pay for it, buddy. I'm I'm a I'm a friend, but I'm not I'm not like your
0: oh. Uh-huh. I I was a paid member. I'm a paid life member of the the foundation, and I I, uh, I paid to. Have you, the banquet.
1: Were you at? Uh, you weren't a life member two years ago, were you? No. Okay, so you have no. never been to life member breakfast. Okay, so you got to no. so now you are a life member. You got to, and we're going to talk membership here because this is we talked this with Randy on this episode, which is fantastic. Um, so the kind of the pinnacle for the Wild Sheep Foundation is their life member breakfast. It's so much fun. Um, you get in there, we they give away a lapamosa sheep hunt. Like that's that's what we're talking about. This is a ninety thousand U.S. dollar sheep hunt, um, and you got as good a chance as anyone as um, winning that hunt. So. But you got to be in the room to do it. So, of course, this year you didn't win it because you weren't in the room. But and he, the worst thing is, is they they draw the name and you're yeah. not in the room and you're watching online. You're like, ah, Steve Hamilton's like, oh my goodness, like, uh, <laughs> oh, you'd immediately become me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, life member breakfast is a great time. But anyway, they sell hats, um, and I'm on the life member breakfast committee, so I'm involved with all of it. So we had this year, we had five donors. We had uh, Sitka, Stone Glacier, uh, Barneys, Cryptek, and Kuyu. And uh, they each donated 100 hats. And you can see that it's got the WSF logo. It says Life Member on it. And um, so we had 500 hats, and we sold 500 hats in 28 minutes. So what happens is they pay 50 bucks a hat, or you can buy, buy all five for 200 bucks. so it's a deal. But you get your name in the hat drawing, and what they do is they pull out a floor credit of 1000 bucks. So each one of those hats gets a thousand dollar floor credit and you can spend it however you want. You can spend it in the, on the floor with the vendors. You can spend it uh, on raffles, whatever wherever you want to spend that money. Yeah. So it's a great opportunity. You get these cool hats. I've got all five. And uh and then you also get your chance to win a, a raffle. Like like Randy said, you know, if, if you actually saved your money instead of spending on these bloody oh, raffles, you I could buy that. a sheep hunt, right? So how many I people know show here, up for the how many people show up for the like member breakfast? It, it's a good number. It was tiny uh, over the years, you know, 300, 400. I think we were 800 this last tiny, year. That's tiny?
0: 300?
1: <laughs> well, it, it was that's back a then, banquet right? Room. It, it's, well, it's incredible. And the energy in that room when you're drawing a sheep hunt. uh oh, it's yeah. So, so much excitement. And, um, and it's a lot of fun. So this year we had Guy Eastman. Uh, he was a keynote. And he brought out, so uh, from Eastman's. Uh, as yeah, they, yeah. The journal, you know, maybe yep. our uh, the people probably know about it. His grandfather started Eastman's and so he had stuff from his grandfather. So he narrated it. Oh, that's Dude, cool. It was off the hook. It, it was, it was just, you know, I, I've only been to three or four over the years of the Life Member Breakfast and that one just stands out. It was so entertaining. Guy did such a great job. He's, he, you know, conservationist, believes in what we do as a sheep hunter. And he was just, it was so cool to, to watch and listen to that. It was, it was a lot of fun. So, oh yeah, you got to got come next year.
0: Yeah, I got to the the uh, the lesson one last time, and that was awesome as well. Watching what was it four or five hunts being drawn, and people in the room, people like the, the same thing. You have to be there for the majority of them, and you're somebody will pull, like Gray will pull the name, and like Kyle Stelter. And it'll be quiet. Kyle Stelter.
1: And it's like, oh, shit, he's not here. So, (laughs) but yeah. But buddy, he's not pulling my name because I already got a sheep. I could have my name in there.
0: International, buddy.
1: You're right. International. See? So less than one, less than one eye. So anyone listening that doesn't know what less than one, less than one eye is, go to Wild Sheep Foundation's website. Check out less than one club. Um, it's the one club you you want to be kicked out of um and it's a very 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 cool uh concept from the foundation so check that out at wildsheepfoundation.org okay so we had randy newberg on on this uh cast and you know randy uh, been following him for years and just love what he stands for, his messaging. Um, huge advocate for conservation. Huge advocate for um, public access hunting. Uh, just just a great human being and just a, a really great advocate to have on our side. And and he didn't disappoint. He had so, so many great messages on this podcast. to just sat in awe and listen to to Randy talk. Oh, such a great storyteller. Like I've
0: watched, uh, like I said, followed for years. Listened to his podcast, watched his videos and getting a chance to talk. He's just the same. Like, it's like you're, you're sitting around a campfire having a a BS with him. And again, another guest that we've had, that's inspiring. No
1: disrespect intended, but not your typical accountant. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> definitely all, all the accountants out there i love you but randy newberg is not oh when account. when i threw
0: that number out there like well, off the top of his head yeah. i'm like whoa okay yeah there's the accountant in him i'm like i'm trying to get the, the computer up and running like the calculator and it's like bang <laughs> off the top of his
1: head i'm like oh yeah there's the accountant and you'll hear me say that <laughs> yeah yeah for sure so no just a, a great chat with randy so one thing you're going to hear him talk about is his conservation ethos um, and for those of you that are, you know, uh, listening to these podcasts, um, love having you along for the ride. And if you're not a member, and, and you know, we're the Wild Sheep Society of BC. I'm not going to tell you not to join our organization. We'd love to have you. But there's a lot of great conservation organizations out there. So if the society doesn't speak to you, you know, look at your local community and, and see what you can do. And yeah, we'd love to have you for in BC here for Wild Sheep and the, the great work that our members are doing. But there's a lot of great organizations out there doing the same thing, whether it be Wild Sheep or any other resource that that uh, we talk about. So, oh, absolutely. So, you um, are going to do a bit of a pitch for membership here. So on the on the podcast, you can ha- hear Randy and Steve and I talk about um, the Wild Sheep Foundation has a membership drive and appreciation raffle going on right now. So it's an opportunity to go sheep hunting in the um, Northwest Territories. There's eight outfitters outfit- that are part of uh, the Association of Mackenzie Mountain Outfitters. This year, uh, Ammo got together and they talked to all their outfitters, all eight of them and said, Hey, do you guys want to work with the wild sheep foundation? And what we're going to do is we're going to offer a sheep hunt and the winner gets to pick who they go hunt with. So there's eight outfitters in the, um, in the territory. So you can pick any of those eight outfitters. So you hear of words like, Ghana river you hear of uh raven's throat you hear um of these all these organizations all these outfitters um in the mckenzie mountains that are are world-renowned hunts and all eight of them are fantastic you can't go wrong and you get to pick which one you get this is a hunt that has never been done before this is a fantastic opportunity so um, for anyone interested in joining the foundation upgrading this is the time to do it. So go over to WildSheepFoundation.org. You're going to see right on the homepage there. There's a a spot to click for membership. And um, so if you upgrade, you get more chances to win. Uh, If you're already the summit life member and you don't have anywhere else to go, you can just buy extra tickets. I think we've capped it at five, but it's a great opportunity to go and a sheep hunt of a lifetime. And, uh, and obviously you're going to be supporting a great organization, the wild sheep foundation. So uh, really exciting. Um, Oh, and I forgot to mention, you get to do it with Adam Foss. Adam Foss is going to come along. He's going to be your personal videographer. If I heard to he's going to carry your bags too. Right, Adam? <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're making friends there, buddy. So, um, yeah, great opportunity for anyone that is thinking about joining. If there's never been, we've never had a membership uh, opportunity like this. This is a one-off uh, to get this opportunity and uh, it runs till June 30th, so you still got a few months left. But you want to make sure you're part of that, and um, it's definitely the hunt of a lifetime for anyone that's thinking about going sheep hunting. So, um, I think we've done that justice. Uh, so, Absolutely. Randy Newberg. Um, I don't. I don't need to do much introduction there for Randy. Just a, a fantastic human being. Uh, he's deeply steeped in the hunting community. Uh, public Lands is front and center. He does such such great work on that end of things. And uh, I think you're going to enjoy episode 69 with the one and only Mr. Randy Newberg. If we told you tomorrow that elk, black bear, and bighorn sheep were next, would you speak up? Wildlife needs to be managed by science and not by emotion. And you don't have to be a hunter to take part in this movement. You just have to want sound management of our wildlife in B.C., Go to WildSheepSociety.com slash act now to use your voice and demand that BC not use our wildlife as pawns in a game of social management. Act now. Or the things that you love could be next. Good morning, sir. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on to talk as sheep, Randy.
2: Well, Kyle, thank you so much, Steve. Thanks for uh, having me. Uh, I wish we were doing this in person. Oh, yeah. Maybe in September. Hey, that works. I know where you're going with this. I know where you're going with this. (laughs) But uh, no, isn't it amazing that in today's world, uh, we can be this far apart and have this face-to-face conversation and, and talk about these cool things?
1: It's delightful yet scary yet, you know, I, I, <laughs> you know, I, I was talking to my wife about this, this, I think it was last night. I'm, you know, it's such a weird world that, you know, you can connect, uh, you know, like virtually like this and, and just with anyone at any time. And it's so, so accessible and, and it's kind of ruined the, the mystique or whatever, you know, like going to see a guest speaker somewhere, <laughs> right? Like, you know, um, cause if you want, you know, you can go and see Randy Newberg at any given time now. Right. You just, it, and it's a little scary in some capacity, I think.
2: Mm-hmm. So. Well, it's probably good that people can get an advanced preview because that'll keep them from wasting their time and money to come and see me and then be disappointed. <laughs> so
1: <laughs> Wow. <laughs> oh. I think it's going to be interesting. This transition as we come out of this phase of, you know, with COVID now and stuff, and we're seeing it. We were at cheap show. I ran into you in Reno there, which was really mm-hmm. cool to see. But even then I, I, I recognize your voice. I didn't recognize your face. You're all masked up at the life member of breakfast. And I'm like, I know that yeah. voice. And right away, I'm like, oh, shoot, it's Randy. And then, uh, but you don't, you can't recognize people either. Right. So
2: that that is so common, you know, since everyone's been wearing masks, people will be looking at me like, I think I recognize him. And then when I talk, they'll come up to me and said, I knew that was you. <laughs> I'm like, really? I, I,
1: I'm that distinctive. Huh? But okay. So. Yeah. Well, it is going to be interesting, this transition as we come out of it and what our new events look like. And, you know, I think the one thing about COVID, we've had to reinvent the world a little bit and how we do things. And I think it's going to be kind of a fun, a little scary, but a little bit of a fun transition to see how we come out of this and what we look like over the next couple of years, because it is going to be different. It's not the same, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. And I know for us, we've learned a lot in the last few years and a lot of that's good stuff we'll use going forward. Awesome. Awesome yeah so you're in your recording studio are you i see i see a bear i see a wolf i see some it looks like a doll sheep is that a doll there or what do you got behind you that's your doll awesome Got 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 a little bit of everything in here uh
2: we just moved in in september and we're on the road all the time in september so we we're like that family that had to move in a hurry and they're still (laughs) living out of boxes that's kind of what it is there's supposed to be a bunch of sound panels behind me in this studio but we haven't got them up yet so right now you have to deal with a bear pelt and a wolf pelt. so
1: uh could uh, be worse right that's that's yeah it works <laughs> for me <laughs> could be <laughs> So, Randy, let's talk a little bit about, um, well, actually, if you don't mind, let's go back to the early Randy. So, obviously, we know your accounting history, (laughs) um, you know, and your transition to your new career, which is really cool. But, uh, you know, in your formative years, you know, where did it come from? Where's your passion for wildlife and and conservation come from? Yeah, like, like a lot of people, probably a lot of your listeners. I grew up
2: in a community, little logging town of 500 people. Uh, called Big Falls, Minnesota. And everybody hunted, fished, and trapped. It wasn't a matter of if you will. It's a matter of when can I go? When can I start? And everybody I knew, every mentor, every person in the community who I looked up to as a youngster was a hunter, an angler. A lot of them were trappers, very skilled woods woodsmen. Uh, and so that was what I wanted to be when, when I grew up. I, it's like, you know, I want to hunt. I want to hunt. And I didn't realize it at the time how much that upbringing was going to guide my path and and build my ethos and my ideologies about how I see the world. But I guess now uh, reflecting on it it, it, make, it, it all makes sense to me. But if you were to have come to a dinner... At my house, at the neighbor's house, at anyone's house, there's a really good chance that what was on that plate, what was being served there was something we caught, something we shot, or something we went and harvested, blueberries, raspberries, wild onions, wild asparagus, but whatever it was, the, the the amount of food we took responsibility for and grew or harvested ourselves was the majority of of what we had. And I just grew up thinking that's how life was. You know, I I didn't know any different. And then I go off to college in Minneapolis and go see the big world. It's like, whoa, (laughs) I really grew up in the backwoods here. Uh, But what I realized is it gave me a connection to land and water and, and, you know, the clean air, the clean water, the, the productive space that it, it was it was something that gave me a, a view of the world that maybe a lot of other people aren't blessed to have. And all of us who have grown up in those little towns, you know, we're 16 years old, we're like, boy, I can't wait to get out of this one horse town. You know, you, you're kind of bemoaning that the movie theater's 40 miles away and, you know, there's not a fast food joint for 75 miles. And you really think the life's bad. And then you leave there and you realize what a blessing it is to have an upbringing where you are that connected to the wild world in, in a, in a space and time we live in today where that connection is very rare. And so I, 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 can't think of any other path I, I would have taken now in retrospect. Yeah. I, I went to be an accountant, you know, in the U S here, I'm, I'm a tax accountant for 35 years. And that's pretty boring, uh, but but it serves a good purpose. Uh, in the United States, the tax deadline for most of your tax work gets done by April fifteenth. So my wife loves to fish, so we had eighty percent of our work done in the first four months of the year. <laughs> I think it left a lot of time to go fishing and hunting.
1: So was that intentional? Did you, yeah? Did you it you, was. Made the, you made that decision? Said okay, I want my falls free, so I'm going to go into accounting work. Yeah, my wife often says that if the tax filing season was in the fall,
2: you wouldn't have become an accountant. I said, well, for sure. I mean, that's pretty obvious. <laughs> Why are you even asking me that? Uh, so, yeah, it, uh, it worked out that way. And, and uh, moved to Montana 31 years ago. And, you know, we only have one kid. Uh, and it was all about the outdoor world for us. Uh, I I asked him uh, probably two months ago. You ever play any baseball? Because as a kid, he didn't do the normal little league stuff for summer soccer. He fished. That ki- that kid at ten years old was fishing walleye tournaments with me, and he was he's <laughs> he's just really experienced as an angler. And and he when I asked him the question, he said, "Well, no, we fished." I, I didn't, I didn't play baseball. I, I don't even know if he knows who the baseball teams are, uh, but he can tell you an awful lot about fish and walleyes uh, or pike or, or whatever else. And so I think about how that's continued to be our family life, uh, the outdoors. My wife loves the outdoors. Uh, she's Hannah. She's taken plenty of deer and, and uh, birds and other stuff and fishing is her big thing, but we still celebrate not in a big way because we do it so often but we celebrate the fact that we have this wild protein that is still accessible to us and uh last night we had salmon for dinner a friend of mine in uh on the washington coast sent us some salmon and i don't know about you guys but there's something also about this hunting fishing outdoor lifestyle where we do a lot of sharing mm-hmm. uh uh, all of you, I'm sure your audience can relate. Yeah, I shot an elk or I shot a deer and I, I shared it. And Shane Mahoney is often fond of saying, well, we don't go and buy a beef roast and then go share it with, them. you know, stop by the neighbor and say, hey, you want some of this beef roast I bought? Uh, but there's something about this lifestyle we have that allows us to share in a way that is, is deeper than than any any other Part of my life, as far as how Mm -hmm. the relationships are built, so that's it's a long answer to how I got here.
0: Yeah, I I can feel that one with the sharing. Last night, hell, we had moose. We that's my daughter's nine, and she's grown up on game meat, and that's her absolute favorite. But yeah, Kyle can vouch. I I've sent him unsolicited a great big cooler full of meat. (laughs) So and and that's what four hundred miles, Kyle. I put it in a buddy of mine, back a buddy of mine's truck, and showed up at his house and just knock
1: knock. Here it is. So. Yeah. Well, it was stone sheep you sent me, Steve, and we took it on a spring bear hunt and 10 buddies were around the fire and I brought out stone sheep and cooked it around the fire. And you know, I'll tell you, you can make friends pretty fast when you show up with stone sheep too. (laughs) too, uh, Yeah. It was was amazing. Um, but yeah, absolutely. So Randy, you know, all the things you're talking about, you're talking about family, you're talking about connection to the, the land base, um, Yet here we are fighting for our life as hunters in a lot of these places. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and there is this disconnect. You're absolutely right. You use the word connection to land, water, wildlife. You talked about the disconnect. So how, how come we're so vilified? You know, all, all the things that we do as hunters, we appreciate friends and family. We're sharing. uh, We have a connection with the land. um, But yet we're the evil ones. And it's kind of in the mainstream media now. Uh, COVID's helped us a little bit. People are starting to see this, you know, the sustainable organic source of protein, all the right reasons we're doing it. But how did, how do we get down this messy slope where we're at, where we're fighting for our life? It feels like when most of these things are, you know, if you take out the killing, I'm sure everyone would be like fine with it, but uh, something died to do this and people have an issue. How do we get here and how do we get out of it? More importantly, I guess. Uh,
2: I, this is a simplified answer and, it's what I always say, and maybe it's wrong, but I say, if you don't tell your story, someone will tell the story for you, and it's not necessarily going to be how you want it told. And I think we didn't tell our story for the longest time. Then when we started telling our story, those early stories that, that we had, when I think about TV, when I think about a lot of the video visual world of how we told story, it had nothing to do with. Food, it had nothing to do with landscapes, conservation, culture, society. It was all chest-thumping, you know, biggest, you know, I made the furthest shot. I shot the biggest animal. I got, you know, I filled the most tags. Well, if that's the story we're going to tell, that's the story that that helps fill the narrative of others who, who want to tell a story about us in a negative light. So we got a lot of catching up to do. We, we got to talk about these things. And uh, one of the reasons I left the network when I was on TV networks was the fact that they would never let us show the the, the field dressing process. Because they were on these big carriers, you know, direct TV, dish, you know, whatever, Cox Cable, Spectrum. And those carriers would say, hey, we're getting complaints. So, you know, you got a dead animal. Well, I'm sorry, but. When you never show the next step of utilizing this as food and how it gets converted to food, you're going to leave people with the impression that it's just all about killing stuff. So through the media that we use, the format of that media, maybe some of the egos involved and the personal motivations, we didn't tell the stories the way that we read them from Jack O'Connor. Jack O'Connor would write about a sheep hunt, but he wouldn't just write about the sheep. He'd almost glorify the sheep and glorify his indigenous guide that was helping him and, and talking about the landscape and the knowledge that came and that he was learning while he was on this hunt. That that wasn't part of the, the recent stories, you know, I'd say the last 30 years in the hunting space. And so a little bit of it, I think we... We let ourselves get here, and so we're kind of getting the treatment
1: we brought upon ourselves. Maybe I'm wrong in that, but uh, that's how I see it. Uh, makes a lot of sense. Now, with you and your personal story, and and the the stories you've told over the years, has there been an evolution? And I've seen I've seen an evolution in the industry. We we see a lot less of the the kill shot now. It's about the process, the experience. Um, and definitely a better, we're doing a better job, I think, of telling that story and certainly some better do it better than others. And You, you as the textbook version, in my opinion, have you changed the way you portray what you do over the years or has it been pretty consistent from the early days, Randy? Um, no, it's, it's changed because I've left some of the the
2: distribution platforms that were very confining and now I'm on other distribution platforms like Amazon, like YouTube, like podcasts where you're not tied to a certain length you're not tied to these types of formats there's not all these can't do this can't do this got to have a commercial break here blah 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 so having those added freedoms has allowed me to tell the story the way i really wanted to from the start so yeah there's been definitely an evolution to that i think there's also the benefit of listening to what the audience is telling you i mean I've made some mistakes along the way where I thought, "Well, this is what they'd want to see," and they're like, "What?" <laughs> they give you this email where you scratch your head and say, "Why did I think that was a good idea?" Uh, so I'm, I I'll, you know, like all of us, I think when we age <laughs> or when we're putting ourselves out there to be criticized, you you either take that criticism constructively or it eats you up. And you just become a shell and you say, this is what I'm doing, hell with all of you. Uh, I've tried to take critique and criticism to craft or, or model the story, the message we're trying to give. Uh, and uh, yeah, so all that has resulted in some some difference between how it started and where it is today. But the the basic tenets that support what we do are still the same. Uh, We've always been about the conservation story, the story of the species, the story of the landscape and the story of the people involved. If we fill the tag, great. If we don't, we still need to have a a strong story.
1: Yeah, fantastic. So with that in mind, you know, there's the, the Randy Newbergs of the world doing their thing and doing a great job of it what, what is a, you know, an everyday Joe or everyday Carol, how do they change their messaging? What do they need to do? You know, there's, there is controversy like, Hey, we should be proud hunters and we should be able to show our trophy shots. And, you know, or, you know, there, there's a lot of conjecture around that. What can we do better as a community and what can the average hunter do to sort of improve our lot in life with the, with the non-hunter, I guess.
2: I think if we look through our history Uh, hunters have always prided themselves on being more informed, more knowledgeable, having a better understanding of the natural systems and the complexities of all that. Um, And we owe it upon all of us to learn more, to study more, to research more, to be better students of, of the wild place and the wild space. And I don't think that we have to try to combat everybody who's got a negative opinion about hunting or hunters. I think our best thing we can do is be, uh, I don't know what term we'd want to put to it. Well behaved or, or, you know, some people like to say ethical. I like to say this, you know, we represent what we do and how we do it in a positive light, but we're honest and we're truthful about it. We're honest that (laughs) something dies so that we can live and i don't care if you live in downtown vancouver and you've never seen uh, a tree you know you you've lived in the concrete jungle all your life or if you live in a farm out in you know saskatchewan it's the same theory you know something dies so that we can like we tell our story in a way that people understand that we take responsibility for this And when you take responsibility for something dying so that you can live, that's usually not well presented by making it about numbers or how far of a shot you took or whatever it might be. So there's little things in how we present ourselves, uh, both within our community and outside our community, uh, that, that can make a difference. And I think you bring it up, Kyle, that every one of us, when we, have a hunting license we are an ambassador for hunting you you can't say oh those people with tv shows or those people with youtube channels or instagram channels they're the they're the face of hunting they are to some degree but we all are Uh, you know that's if someone makes a mistake it doesn't matter if you've got a platform or you're just joe or carol you you uh you make a big mistake; it's going to make it in the newspaper. It's going to end up on the T, you know, the, the quick news wire. It's going to get put on Facebook. So it's a responsibility we all have. And uh, I just say: be honest, be truthful, uh, and be respectful. Uh, we're lucky; we're blessed in countries that allow us to do this, where we still can go and acquire our own meat out in the woods. So. Show, show respect for that process and that freedom and that liberty that we have.
1: Yeah, it's certainly a privilege. It's not uh, it's not a right for sure. So I think we we need to treat it as such, right? Uh, anytime you have a privilege, you have to you have to protect that privilege. Otherwise, you could easily lose it, and it wouldn't take a lot. And we've seen it here in BC uh, mm-hmm. for yeah, sure. You
2: yeah, you guys are an interesting place <laughs> for us to observe. Uh, I bet. Uh, <clears throat> I, I don't know if you 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 see it, it living there the way that we see it, you know, in the States, but we look at BC and it's this unbelievable place. You guys have wild beyond wild. I mean, you take the wildest place in the lower 48 of the United States, and it doesn't even compare to that run of the mill wild country you guys have in, in BC and you have such a strong culture of how your society evolved related to wild things, uh, whether, you know, going back to the fur harvest and the exploration of all that, the Hudson Bay company, all, all the things that are part of your history and hunting and fishing and trapping have been a big part of that. And now to see that you guys are dealing with what you're dealing with so quickly, it's a head scratcher for those of us watching from the outside head for us living here (laughs) (laughs) people can't see this but i see a video of steve he was just scratching his head yeah well
1: and and it is it is disturbing it is scary and and then also you know we're we're having some conservation issues in bc here too right you know uh we're wild sheep centric of course and you know we're we're worried about populations there's some you know uh, increased pressure and we're seeing uh, you know, increased harvest pressure and a whole bunch of stuff that is a concern, but then just, just general conservation stuff. And again, it comes down to predominantly habitat and uh, disease and predation, you know, the, the big three, the big four, right. It just, it's there yeah. and uh, it's, we're not immune to it. You know, we, they call us a Serengeti of the North, but we're, I'm afraid we're going to lose that title if we don't get our act together here. So, yeah, I mean, you, you guys see it firsthand cause you're out there in the mountains, in
2: the woods, you're seeing this happening. Whether you see it as an immediate thing or over the course of years that you've been out there, that's something that the person and I don't want to pick on everybody who lives in Vancouver, but it's the only large metropolitan area I've been to in uh, in uh, British Columbia. So uh, they're going to they're, they're going to be used as the example. Uh, that person's daily life probably does not expose them to the things that you do daily or weekly. You know, maybe it's your weekend trip or whatever. And so I can only expect that it's probably like here in the States where it's more of an urban, rural difference of, of how you you get to see the world. And uh, you talk about things like disease, habitat loss, whatever. You know, the person living in the big city doesn't understand that when they turn on the heat, you know, that's natural gas that's running that furnace, it's probably coming from the prairies of Alberta or Saskatchewan that somebody's paying the price for that in terms of habitat in terms of space uh, uh, you know what, what happens to your fish in your fisheries when you know the demand for certain resources are such that it gets done in a way that damages your salmon runs or whatever other fishery i think those of us who live it see it and it's part of how we feed ourselves we're way more tuned into it and so it's hard for us to separate ourselves and our behaviors from those outcomes whereas if you're removed from that every day it's like well you know heat yeah i'm not sure where the heat comes but you know i turn on the heat and warms it up in here heck of a good deal You know, that's about as far as I think of it. And Mm -hmm. so uh, I think as we get more urbanized, those trends don't get less. They probably get, it's probably a greater trend uh, as we get
1: more and more urbanized. Well, you're absolutely right, Randy. We really see it here in British Columbia. Vancouver is just this behemoth, and and uh, I can't remember the numbers, but the number urban versus rural is is just absolutely off the the hitch in BC in particular. It's crazy how bad it is, and well, I I guess I use the term bad, but uh, but there is this massive disconnect between our, our urban centers and what's happening on the land base, and people all they see in and our media's place to it is the wolf call. Like that's what, or the grizzly bear hunt predu- prior to that. And it's a little bit scary. Nobody's, ta- you know, a little bit about caribou, but again, caribou, what we're talking about, there's extirpation. And I know you're really familiar with what's going on with caribou in the lower 48 and and up here in BC too. But people are talking about caribou only because they're concerned that wolves are dying. They're not care. They don't, as a general rule, people, now people do care I when I have conversations about them, but they said, yeah, but you shouldn't be killing these wolves, right? So it's really interesting to see that, the mainstream media and how they're portraying this in the media as well. So.
2: Yeah. I, I, We've had the big wolf issue here. And I say that wolves aren't a canine, they're a bovine. And people look at me like, don't you know your species? I'm like, no, they're a bovine. They're a cash cow. Yeah. Uh, and for the groups that like the warm and fuzzies, you know, as they call them, the charismatic megafauna, uh, they're, they're kind of the money train for them. So mm. that's what they're going to focus on you know, let's paint a story. Let's talk about the world through the eyes of a wolf. Well, a wolf is a wolf. You know, they're they're not coming and eating the kids at the bus stop, but they're also not saving the world. You know, they're not solving the world hunger. So we have that side over there that has a lot of media, has a lot of presence and a lot of money, and they're painting a non-natural story. You know, it's not like, The pack of wolves goes to the caribou and say, hey, we've got a contract here that says we get to eat you today. We'll be ethical. We'll be humane. We'll do this as easy as possible. But here's the deal. Now, this is ugly, nasty, painful, bitter struggle that we get the pleasure of being removed from in our lives. And so they they paint that picture the way they do. And, you know, it's it's not good for the long-term health of the entire system
1: well and that's the part that frustrates me is the the messaging is not genuine it's not authentic um you know they paint they paint a fragment of a story that's so tiny that in itself is probably true but the reality is that the story around that there's never an honest genuine story around it and you do that you do a great job of that randy you tell the story you're honest you're authentic something dies Uh, but the other side doesn't and they don't really play fair. And that's the thing. And and then the media just, or sorry, the general public just consumes what the media gives them. And they believe that now this is the truth because the media told us this. So it's a little disturbing, I guess, in that regard. So Yeah.
2: Do you guys get, do do any of your networks up there broadcast the U S news program, 60 minutes? Uh, yeah, they, they do. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I was on 60 minutes talking about wolves. Uh, And uh, they introduced me as the guy who hunts and traps wolves. uh, And uh, it re-aired for the third time in January. And my wife calls me. She handles a lot of my emails. She's like, what the hell did you do? (laughs) You should see these emails you're getting. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you, honey, the the 60 Minutes piece on wolves aired again last night. Uh, So I get to see that fringe element out there and the ones who send me these crazy emails it's like if you want to see a little bit of glimpse into the psyche of a part of that population you should read my emails that come in like that it, it's like whoa oh okay uh, that's what we're dealing with as as far as part of that community so i see it yeah it, it, you're right kyle it, it's nowhere near the full picture it's The full picture is a very complicated story, and they don't want to focus on the complicated. They want to make it something. Let's let's make this story easy so that we can polish it and shine it up to sell it in the way
1: that makes us the most money and gives us the most influence. Just out of curiosity, Randy, when dealing with that scenario, so you get these emails that flood in, do you even take the bandwidth to reply to any of that stuff, or you just just you know? Because as we know, we're not changing any hearts and minds with that group. So, do you just leave it alone and just walk away from it, or do you spend the bandwidth replying? No, I, I I don't reply. Uh, yeah. Any
2: uh, you know, when I'm out in the public, occasionally I'll get someone who confronts me about what I'm doing or like I, I wear a lot of fur. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's certain times and places where people just go off the rails because you're wearing a hat of a beaver you trapped. Well, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, but yeah, that, that beaver was flooding this rancher's field out here and it was calving season. And you know, here you are buying beef. I'm over helping that, that rancher so he can put some beef in the market here, but you're mad at me. You wanted me to just throw this fur away mm-hmm. and not make a hat of it. So you get those kind of people and you're really not going to change their minds, right? Hey, I'm not going to waste the bandwidth on people like that. Now, if someone yeah. came to me and said, hey, you know, I've never seen anyone wearing a beaver hat before. Can you tell me a little bit about that? That person is genuinely interested in trying to understand. I've got all the bandwidth in the day to talk to that person. The person whose mind is already made up. I mean, we have them in our own camp, too. I mean, there's people in our own camp Mm -hmm. that I don't waste the time replying to because, uh, you know, I don't have enough love or money to change their perspective on things. So Mm I just got to decide where can I make some progress here or feel that I make some progress and spend your time there.
0: Yeah, we're never going to change the mind of the, the ones that have got their mind made up, right? It's there's their way. There's our way. We're never going to meet in the middle. It's exactly that. We got to hit the ones that sit on the fence and are open to it. And I had a a buddy of mine that I went to kindergarten with. God, going back 40 some odd years now. And I posted a picture of a bear. We reconnected on Facebook. And I posted a picture of a bear and I got the inevitable, can you eat that? And yeah. And long story short, I sent him a, a care package. He lives in Vancouver. Three months later, he's got his his uh, hunting license, his firearms license. He's been up here half a dozen times, taken a couple of bears. His family eats it. He's recruited a neighbor into eating it. So yeah, it's just the the right approach to it is what what we need.
2: And and to wrap, kind of tie those pieces together, Kyle. You said, what could the average person do? I think when hunters are investing into the landscape, investing into the species with our time, our money, our advocacy. You can't say that sheep conservation only benefits sheep. It benefits the entire landscape. It helps address disease issues in mountain goats. It it addresses habitat issues for caribou, habitat issues that if not taken care of, okay, if you really love wolves, Without these prey species, you're not going to have any wolves to love. So where we can put our best face forward, our best effort, is putting our shoulder to the wheel for conservation. And we do it for the sake of conservation. And they're going to have a hell of a hard time criticizing us for the work we're doing for species and, and all, we know that all species benefit when the land is productive, the water is clean, the air is clean, and we're trying to, to do the best we can. That it, it, it causes people to have to look in the mirror a little bit and say, well, what am I doing? I'm, I'm just a taker from that system. I'm not like these guys, these gals putting back into it. I'm, I'm merely, you know, I, I'm just the parasite to the system. I'm getting my energy, my resources, my, my paper, my timber, my food. I'm not – what am I getting back? So if we really want to make ourselves known for what we really do and get people to understand our strong connections that we have to these wild places and these wild things, conservation, volunteerism, money, you know, all of that stuff, that's – were, I, I think that's our best story to tell. And good luck trying to say that's bad. Yeah, uh,
1: absolutely, yeah. absolutely, Randy. So, you know, it's interesting. Um, you, I look at you and what you've done in the conservation community, and and I look around the people that I work with day in and day out. They're super passionate. Uh, but there's also an element of hunters out there that don't give back as much or they're not as interested. Um, so what's what makes you – one thing I when I, when I think about Randy Newberg, I don't think hunter. Actually, I think conservation is first. That's that's where my brain goes. At. Cool. I think I think for a lot of people, maybe it's the other way. But for me, um, I think conservation first from um, for, for a number of reasons. So where did that come from for you? Where did this passion for conservation? Because not every hunter has the deep ethos for conservation that that you do. So where did that develop? Was it a young age, or is that something that came later in life? How did that work for you, Randy? Yeah. Uh, It was developed early in life. The awareness of it came
2: later in life. So uh, I I grew up with a family that my great grandfather had migrated from Finland to Northern Minnesota. And uh, he died four years before I was born, but his oldest daughter, my grandmother, was one of my most cherished adults in my life. And It was out for her. It was always about taking care of the system, taking care of the garden, taking care of the whatever, and always giving back and volunteering. She was eh, how she raised three kids. I don't know because all she did was volunteer. And then I look at the little town I grew up in. You know, the Hunter Education class was taught by my sixth grade teacher, Paul Reese, and taught by the owner of the hardware store, a World War II vet, Owen Gordon. And they gave up their time. They took every kid, whether they had a mentor to take them hunting or not. Paul and Owen would arrange, and my dad helped with them, arranged to make sure that this kid got to go hunt. And then, growing up in a logging community, you saw how smart use of resources could be done with some consideration for habitat consideration for a lot of things so i was getting to watch all this but it never sunk into me how it fit in the bigger picture and then as i got a little older i just started realizing that you know this generational knowledge this generational ethos was handed to me i got to start doing something about it because i don't want to be that person that inherits this amazing uh collective of hunting from my elders, my parents and grandparents and just use it all for myself and selfishly not pass it on. You know, the, the greatest shame would be to inherit something and then also borrow from those who come after you. I don't, I don't, that's not the outcome I want to see. So uh, I left out. I have a wife who feels the same way. She's very modest. And she says, you go to that thing. You make sure that public access stays here. You make sure you're, you're the one trained in public speaking. I mean, this was back when we were first married. Uh, and so uh, between us, it, it was a, a fortunate mix that we both understand how important conserving these wild spaces, wild things. And and I always say this, you know, I try to say it in basic terms, you know, clean air, clean water. Who doesn't want that? You know, if I'm going to fish, I need clean water. Yeah, I'm going to hunt. I need productive, healthy landscapes. So uh, seeing all of that, it just became part of what we did. We, uh, When I first moved here to Bozeman, uh, joined the Rock Mountain Elk Foundation fundraising committee, worked on a bunch of projects, worked on a bunch of land exchanges. Uh, my wife helped me co-chair the Ducks Unlimited committee in Bozeman for eight years. It's just I always been part of my family in the little community I grew up in and it's volunteerism and giving back. was just part of what you do. It's like something on your calendar, you know? Oh, Saturday morning. This is what I do. or Thursday night. I, it is what I do. Uh, so I, I never really thought about it any further than that. And then as I got a little older and I think when you have kids, you really start thinking about this generational uh, transfer of opportunity, transfer of uh, this legacy you feel you now have inherited. You start looking at it differently. And when my son was born, it was a huge pivot, or at least a refocus on what's at the core of the things that are dear to me. The greatest memories, the greatest experiences I have, are with me family and friends doing outdoor things. So if I want to preserve and conserve those, I better make sure I'm putting back. And so it's. and then I when I started these platforms in 2008, I looked around and said, you know, there's no shortage of opportunity to use your platforms to advocate for that stuff. Because I you know I, I wish we did more of it collectively on our on on if you took all the outdoor media platforms. I wish everybody would would allocate more of their time towards conservation. Uh, and like this year, on our podcast, we've already had uh, yeah, well, it's. I, I can't list them all, but we are taking all these scientists who are doing all this amazing work. And we're saying, how do we help them make this scientific information consumable and digestible to our audience so they act on it, so they understand it? Because all the science, all the research that we fund in the hunting and fishing space doesn't do any good if it sits on someone's hard drive or it's just published in some scientific journal because the public doesn't have access to it. How do we help these people give, access, give the public access to it? So the public now is like, that's important to me. What, what I, what are we doing about that? And that becomes advocacy. That becomes funding. That becomes priority within the policies of our governments and our institutions. So, you know, we're not going to make any money doing that, but I don't care. A, you know, fortunately, I have a good day job. I don't need to make any money. Out. I'm, I'm here to do it because that's what's important to me. And so, I know not everybody's given the the blessing and luxury I have where. If you have media platforms, maybe it is your livelihood. My wife told me, this isn't gonna be our livelihood because you'll grow to hate it. So I've structured it this way where I do what I like to do, not what I feel is gonna pay my bills. So uh, it's, it allowed me to maybe look at it differently than some other uh, media platforms. And uh, <clears throat> I always have to remind myself when I say, hey, I wish we did more of this. I wish people would use more of their platforms for this. Some of them are probably thinking, like, well, yeah, Newberg, I don't have the day job that you have. Okay.
1: I got to make a living at this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and the cool thing is, 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 um, you know, maybe when you started out, you were having to make decisions that were affecting the paycheck, but people have saw, have now recognized the authenticity of your message you're, and, and, and you've, you know, you've exploded because of it, right. Like, you know, people come to you because of that honest conversation that, uh, and, and, and the message that's changed, right. That, you know, you're telling that true story that maybe wasn't getting told in the early days. Right. And and people recognize you for it and it's, you know, your, your platforms exploded and you, you, your popularity as well. So it's really exciting and encouraging. So it's, you know,
2: guys, people doing what you guys do every day. You know, you guys go and advocate for wild sheep. Well, to the, you, you asked earlier, Kyle. How do you know? Why is it that a lot of maybe hunters just aren't that engaged in it? Well, a lot of hunters will be like, "Oh, I didn't draw my sheep tag this year. I didn't draw this, or whatever." You know, there's not enough. The quota got filled. Well, I always remind them that the best way to improve your odds of having a bigger quota or drawing it a limited entry permit is to put more sheep on the mountain. Put more elk in the hills. Put more fish in the stream. That you know, there's fighting and arguing about you know the last little piece. I often joke that I, I'm worried that hunters would get in a fistfight over who gets to kill the last remaining elk. Uh, I don't think we would, but sometimes the, the behaviors that get mm-hmm. illustrated or expressed, it's like, hey, wake up! Let's do the things for habitat for the for the productivity of the landscape. So we have morale, so we have Marshy, and you guys are the walking example of that. And you know, I, I think that's another thing that makes hunting such a cool thing is how much of our progress is accomplished by volunteers yeah. and generous donors. If, if the rest of society allocated is the same percentage of their time and their money two important causes that we dedicate to conservation, poverty, lack of education, crime, a whole lot of our other societal problems would be a lot less. And I think we as hunters should be proud about that. And we should tell stories around that. Not not to brag, but it is a part of who we are and what we do. And, you know, watching you guys, you know, do the things you do for, for the cause of wild sheep, is an example perfect example of
1: that. Yeah, I appreciate that for sure Randy and and yeah, that's one thing I, you know, I I'm amazed about our wild sheep community and hunters in general, don't get me wrong, but just the the family of people that really are dedicated and again, as you know as a sheep hunter, we there's lots of people that call themselves sheep hunters that have never shot a sheep, right? And that's the amazement for me that people are out there <laughs> dedicating their time, talent and treasure to a resource that they've never had the opportunity even harvest one uh, you know or or even hunt one for that matter right so it's a pretty phenomenal group of people that are able to do that Um, amazes me daily this on saturday uh, montana
2: wild sheep chapter the state affiliate Mm -hmm. is having their annual event here in montana and i'll go there and to your point the majority of people there have never taken a sheep Mm -hmm. They've, they've never been lucky enough to have that opportunity a lot of them could never afford to write a check to go to Canada or Alaska to hunt sheep, but they're hunters and they have bought into the idea that my chance to maybe someday get a sheep is by making sure there are more sheep out on the landscape. And so they're, they are there volunteering. They they are there, you know, contributing some money, even though they may not have a lot of money, but what they contribute is significant to them. And it's significant to the overall cause of who we are and what we represent. So I love going to those things. I I, I get so excited when I get to go to these gatherings for conservation issues and efforts because I look around the room and a lot of times I do a keynote address. And I usually tell people, I I stop and tell them, I said, all right, I want you to look to your left. And they look to their left and I want you to look to your right. Now I want you to look around your table and look around this room. What you just looked at is the future of conservation of this species or the future of this activity that you are here for. And that's absolutely the truth. It's it's not going to happen by the person out on the street. It's not going to happen the person too busy at the golf course to be bothered with stuff like this. It's you. You are the ones who are going to be the future. Of what this is going to turn out to be. And a lot of people are like, "Whoa, I haven't really thought about that. But it's a way to give them credit for what's been done and what will get done. But also give them the awareness that, you know, it's on our shoulders. We, we're, we're, we're the ones in the yoke. We got to
1: pull mm-hmm. the wagon. Yeah, the world's run by those that show up, right? So, yeah, well, <laughs> well said for sure, Randy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think the, I think the last stat I heard about uh,
0: hunter volunteer hours in BC alone was three hundred thousand a year. Yeah,
1: think yeah. about
2: that. That's a lot of hours. That's yeah. That, that's that's a hundred and fifty people working full time. That's Yeah, that's a that's, lot.
0: that's why you're an accountant. I'm getting yeah, the calculator a, yeah, out. I'm like, okay, how's that? Bang.
2: <laughs> I mean, that's that, that's the equivalent of a company that has hundred and fifty employees. And they're working full time every day towards that cause.
1: Yeah, how cool wow. is that? That's amazing. Very cool. Yeah. So, Randy, on the conservation vein, let's transition a little bit here. So, I've I heard about two percent for conservation through a podcast on. I think it was Beyond the Kill, and, and Jared Frazier, the executive uh, director, was uh, being interviewed by Adam. It was probably four years ago now, three years ago, re- pretty early days, and I believe Jared said that you know, you were kind of, well, you, I think you were the one that steered Jared to that role. You said, Hey buddy, you, you need to apply for this. Um, and great, great job, by the way, I, you couldn't have picked a better individual to run. Oh, he's 2%, great, yeah. But, uh, can you touch a little bit on, on 2% and the vision there? And I think you were in, in the formative stages of that organization and the importance of it. I'm a member, Steve's a member, we believe in it dearly. Um, but let's talk yeah. a little bit about 2% and why it's so important.
2: Yeah, uh, I'm trying to remember how long ago this was, but uh, Jeff Sposito, who now is the president of Stone Glacier, he worked at Sitka Gear at the time. Uh, David Brinker, who now is uh, at Peaks Equipment, was at Sitka Gear at the time, and Jeff came up with this idea. He said, "Why? Why do they have one percent for the planet? We should have one percent for conservation." And he asked me what I thought about. It. I'm like, I think it's a great idea. Man. How can I help? So he and David worked their butts off and then they recruited another accountant here in Bozeman, uh, Brent Walker. Uh, and I said, guys, I, I'm already on too many boards. I'm happy to help and do whatever I can. Uh, but I, <laughs> I can't be on another board. So they took after it. And, you know, I, Watching them create an organization from just an idea was was really amazing. And they had three critical funders at the beginning, Sitka, Wild Sheep Foundation, and the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. They saw Jeff's vision and said, Jeff, here's the money to get you up on plane, to get all the infrastructure in place. Well, it's, it went from being 1% to 2% and the idea being 1% of your revenue and 1% of your time, which is so reflective of how we do it in the hunting space. Our time and our volunteerism is probably more important than the money. And I thought, whoever came up with the extra 1% should be president. This, This is genius uh i wish i could take some credit for it but i had nothing to do with that part of it uh and so how jared got involved is i'd known jared uh he and i volunteered together on a committee and jess was ito says uh randy we're just growing so fast i i need a full-time executive director my wife sam she's like hey we got two daughters you, you, and you got another job what, what are you doing there so uh fortunately they had the budget to hire an executive director and I told Jared, I said, you ought to apply for this. You're the perfect guy. I think that was five years ago, something like that. And it's turned out to be really, really good. I mean, Jared's heart is in this. He, he sees the big picture. He lives it. He breathes it. And it's to the benefit now of 2% for conservation. It's, you know, they're benefiting from Jared being there. Uh, but we're all benefiting from the work that Jared and his board uh, what what they're doing and raising the awareness of conservation in our space.
1: It's such a benevolent organization, right? You know, there's really no, everything that they do is to give back to conservation. There's no take for them, right? They're just keeping the lights on. And and, uh, so it's such a great organization. Love what they do. And I'd I'd love to see them continue to grow and and love that, you know, that you push them so hard and, you know, share their messaging as well. So so it's such a great. Yeah. Jared Jared was at my office a couple of weeks ago. We're working on our, you know, every year
2: you certify yourself. Uh, and a couple of years ago, I realized that with the size of my platforms, I could probably do more by using my platforms to raise money and awareness than just me writing a check. So yeah, we still write our share of check. Uh, but I, I started working on that and I, I did, uh, a thing with the Rocky Mountain Oak foundation where we, we take somebody hunting every year and, We pay all those costs. We incur everything. I think RMEF gives them a small travel stipend and I think reimburses them for their tag costs and stuff. But everything else is like, we're going to do this. But you got to become a member of the Elk Foundation to get in on it. And the amount of money the Elk Foundation raises from that just floors me every year. And so it's kind of turned on the light for me that those of us with platforms, we can probably leverage our platforms for these groups in a way that we personally don't have the resources to do. Mm -hmm. So I did another experiment in 2021, Uh, Brad Renfrey, great guy uh, from the Arizona desert bighorn sheep society. Calls me and says, Hey, Randy, you want to try to do that with a sheep pump?" I'm like, well, yeah, I, what, what do you got in mind? So, again, we did a similar thing. I told Brad, I said, look, I'll buy a sheep hunt. You guys buy a sheep hunt for the winner. I'll buy mine, and I'll bring my camera crew, and we will film this, and let's see how much money we can raise. And they raised a pot full of money. They they raised so much more money than I could write a check for. So it's, it's just another way, uh, uh, I think, if you have platforms like I've been blessed to have, how can you use those in a bigger way? And it takes some work. <clears throat> you know, I, I, I got employees that that's all Paul does for about two months out of the year is worked on these campaigns, with the social media coordinating with all of our sponsors for the gear packages and stuff. But it makes a huge difference in the long run. So uh, 2% Jared and I were talking about that and he's like, how do we use your, the way you've done it? Maybe as an example for some of the others to do it. I'm like, I'm happy to share. I mean, there's no secret to it. It's, you just, yeah, you, know, you show up every day and
1: say, this is part of my calendar today. I got to work on this. And uh, off you go. Well, we, we stole the idea. So I, I'm the membership chair with the Wild Sheep Foundation and uh okay. one of our other directors charlie kelly is on the board of directors. he's a treasurer for arizona desert bighorn society so charlie was mm-hmm. he said hey li- li- we did this with randy and he goes we had 850 members we got 1300 we had 60 percent membership growth it was unbelievable and he shared the metrics on it we're like okay so well randy's already taken so we're we're, we're um so anyway we've got uh, the wild sheep foundation has a membership appreciation drive similar to arizona uh right now so uh the association of Mackenzie Mount outfitters, uh, they've donated a sheep hunt and you can pick any of the eight outfitters in the McKin in the territories. So you pick your one. So you, you're the winner. Ooh. You get to choose it. You can pick any eight, the eight. So we got canola, Ghana, Ghana river. We've got uh, Raven's throat. Just pick, pick which one you want to go with. And, uh, pretty great opportunity. Uh, Adam Foss is going to go along and he's going to film the hunt for you. So, uh, we, we ripped the idea off you, Randy. So you've, you know, oh, that's, that's a great example. That's, you know, we use that yeah. as our template. You know, it's a little different. It's nuanced, but um, yeah, still very, very cool. And we appreciate that. And and that's the inspiration for us where that came from as well. Right. So, well, now some of the pieces are making sense. Adam was
2: down here doing photography work on a mountain goat hunt I had this year. And we share a lot of common sponsors and partners. And so he was here for four of those partners doing photography. And one night in camp, he says, hey, tell me a little bit about this sweepstakes stuff you do. I said, sure, what do you want to know? So we talked about it a lot. He said, well, I'm being asked to do something similar to that. I'm like, you'd be the great guy to do it, Adam. Jump in, man. What's holding you up? He's like, oh, I don't know. I just wanted to see what you thought of it. So now I know why he was asking those <laughs> questions. Yeah,
1: so oh, it's, it's all coming full speed. Maybe I made a compelling sales pitch, or at, at least I didn't scare him off. So Well, you did, because when I first called him, he's like, I don't know. And he's like, I, I got some concerns. And fair enough. And we talked a little bit about it. He goes, well, I'm going to go see Randy. We're working on this GOAT project, and I'm going to talk to Randy about it. I'll get back to you. And he did. So, so thank <laughs> you. you. You sealed the deal on it. He, was, you know, he obviously wanted to help out, but he, you know, he just had some, <laughs> some concerns you know, and that sort of stuff. No, it's... Yeah. And I'll be I'll be honest, every year when we draw our winner, I have this trepidation
2: of, uh oh, what if we get some drunk, you know, somebody with all kinds of problems, somebody who's four hundred pounds overweight or whatever, it's like, boy, I'm gonna have my hands full. Yeah. And mostly I'm I'm mostly worried about their personality and their attitude. In other words, can they go out in the woods and have fun when it's difficult? And they go out there and get full appreciation for the experience rather than, well, I didn't get one, so what a waste. Right. You know, but I've been so blessed, knock on wood, every sweepstakes winner we've ever had has become a friend for life.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think you, you look at the people, when you do these conservation groups, it almost is a filter where you're pre-selecting people mm-hmm. who have this same mindset. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that, that was kind of the story I told Adam. I, I've never had a bad one yet and I may, but I think by doing it through conservation groups, the people who are reached by groups like yours are already
1: people with our mindset. Mm-hmm. So it's uh pretty low risk. It's so like Jared said, conservation karma, right? So he, he always talks about that. <laughs> so yeah, the conservation yeah. gods are looking after us, I guess, in that regard. Uh cool. Okay, that's great, Randy. Um I, I want to be respectful of your time here, but before we go, uh what's the plans? Uh any sheep hunts planned for this year? What's going on for can you talk about it? I guess is the first question I have. Yeah. Okay. No, we're we're applying for tags everywhere. We didn't draw anything
2: in Alaska. We we do some black bear hunts in Alaska. Uh no sheep hunts. Um and I'm the the hunt that I'm doing, the winna hunt with the Arizona Desert Recorn Sheep Society, that's in twenty twenty three. Uh that'll be with Ghana River, uh Herald in them. Uh so the only way I'm going sheep hunting this year is if Montana finally takes this lifetime of points. Uh, and, and <laughs> here we have you guys have a point system of any sort up there? Sadly no. Not. Be 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 thankful. Because all it does is it just slants the table in favor of old gray-haired guys like me. And so this will be my 31st application for sheet this year in Montana. Uh, I'm not going to stand by the mailbox waiting for a tag to show up. The odds are pretty slim. Uh, I apply in Utah, Nevada, Arizona. I've got 20-plus points in Nevada and Arizona. So odds are I'm not going to sheet company this year. Uh, You never know. Yeah. There's always that chance, but I definitely
1: am going next year. So awesome. Looking forward to that. Very cool. Now just one other quick one before we let you go. Uh, You hunted, I think I seen a a backpack hunt you did, or sorry, a a horseback hunt you did with Backcountry BC and beyond. Hey, hey, hey,
0: hey, let's not talk about that area. I was there this year. (laughs) <laughs> Are you, Steve? Yeah, I recognized it. We got two two bull huh. moose. We got snowed okay. in. We got snowed in like the day after it uh, we landed and it was wind yeah. and snow. We were in three days late because of the snow and wind. But yeah, we got uh-huh. we got uh, two nice bull moose. Uh, biologist I sent pictures to of the one rack. Said he figured it was 12 to 15 years old. Like it's got no points. It's literally just a big round, <laughs> round uh, plate. Oh, and then another... 40 inch bull but yeah i recognize it i'm like wait a minute i know where you are <laughs> uh, big caribou. yeah
2: yeah D- dustin and his group you know i've known dustin for a long time and he was on my podcast uh him and cole kramer and david brinker we were having this big event at sick i'm like yeah whoever want jump grab a headset let's jump in here well dustin and, and cole were on there and after we got done dustin said uh what, what's your dream hunt? You know, you get to hunt a lot. I said, mountain caribou. He's like, what? <laughs> I said, mountain caribou. He's like, well, you know, I just bought a unit with mountain caribou. I'm like, no, I didn't know that. So we talk about it. And he's like, if ever you're interested, let me know. So I see him at the wild sheep show in Reno. I think it was 2017. And Mike am like, Dustin, you still got the Those, uh, caribou hunts he's like well why don't you come up moose hunting and add caribou as the add-on i'm like no i want to come up caribou hunting and i'll add moose as the add-on he's like all right you're the only guy i know who is coming up here mountain caribou hunting but you know and so we worked out dates and uh went up there uh and they just had an unbelievable experience. His people worked so hard, oh, yeah. and they had such amazing horses. And you know, sometimes you get lucky. Uh, the very first day, so they fly us in from Watson Lake, yep. and then we ride horse for like eight hours to get to moose camp. While the other hunter, Jim, great guy, uh, he's mostly there for moose. So. The plan is Randy and James and Blythe ride 10 more hours the next day to get to Care Weekend. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a horse guy. Everyone thinks (laughs) in Montana, right? You ride a horse. Well, if I had a horse, I'd die in neglect. That's how little I know about taking care of horses. So 18 hours in the saddle for me was more. That's more than my entire life I'd ever spent in a saddle. So the, the evening, as you saw in the video, the evening we're riding to, to a caribou camp. We get there or get close. And here comes a herd of caribou about 12, 15 coming off the mountain. And there's two bulls in the group. And one of them to me looks like oh, yeah. a monster. And, uh, James, my guide turns to me, he's like, get off. So we <laughs> jump off the horses and blight the wrangler. She's got to catch all these burshes that, you know, it's a scramble. Uh, and, I'm thinking to myself, if he tells me I can't shoot that caribou, I'm shooting it anyway. That's <laughs> what I'm thinking in my head. I've never shot a caribou. And this was the most beautiful animal. These mountain caribou. Oh, yeah. And when they start changing and getting their winter coat, just that striking color of the white, silver yep. mane, and then the black, not black, but very dark body. Uh, they, they run into the spruce, and I'm like, oh, dang it. And James turns to me so. In this, his Kiwi accent and his eyes were big. He said, "You want to shoot that, character? <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, I do." So I'm thinking, well, at least I get to shoot it. Well, sure enough, we follow him for a little ways, and they walk out in this little open. As you saw in the video, oh, it's a big one. I ended up shooting it, and we walk up to it. And I, I have no relative uh, comparison. No, I just think this is a beautiful animal. You know, lucky me, I yeah. get one the first day. And James looks at me and says. You have no idea what he just said. Yeah. I'm like, what? He said, "This is the biggest caribou we've ever shot." I'm like, what? Oh yeah. I'm like, no, we've we've never shot one this big. I'm like, ah, come on. Well, you know, we go take care of it, process all the meat. We're there for two days, salt in the cave, everything, and we ride back to the moose camp where everyone's at. And when I see the reaction of everybody who we met along the, there are a bunch of residents camp, camped along a the lake there. They saw it. They're like. Oh my gosh, what a caribou I'm like, oh maybe maybe this oh, yeah. isn't jerking my chain. I, I was thinking that you know this is just the guy trying to make the client feel like it was a great you know great hunt. And then the error ga- the cash, the guy who, who does their shuttling, he comes in he's like, do you do you realize what you got here? I'm like, well, I'm coming to that realization <laughs> so I, I just felt so blessed and it, it was the dream hunt I'd had my whole life. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the lesson of that, kind of what I said at the end and uh, what we scrolled across the screen at the end is kind of a a motto I've adopted the last 15 years. And that was hunt when you can, when you can, because you can run out of health before you run out of money. And I've been saving for this hunt since I got married. Uh, And a long time ago, I'd surpassed my savings to where I could go do it. And finally, my wife is like, how long are you going to keep saving this money? Like, you, you want to bring 10 people with or are you just going? Because you got enough to go. And uh, I, I got to thinking about what brought that. You know, why, how did that make my dream list? And I was in seventh or eighth grade at our city library or our school library. I couldn't afford a subscription to a magazine, but the big hunting magazines were in our library. And in study hall, I'd go there and watch them. And there was a story in there. I, I wish I had that article, but I watched, I read it. The story was compelling. The pictures were unbelievable. I said, if ever I could do one hunt in the world, it would be Mount caribou in the Cassiars of British Columbia. Because that's where that story was.
1: Very cool. Very
2: cool. Very cool. So you, you guys have such a remarkable province. I, I just... Yeah, I drive through it. And I'm just enamored with it, every bit of it.
1: So that cast, so thanks the for ho-
2: yeah, yeah thanks cast for the hosting me for that. Yeah,
0: and, and, oh, uh, it's a beautiful area. Kyle's been there too. Yeah.
2: Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I, I, so, Steve, to, to to your point about moose, Dustin Rowe, uh, the outfitter, said, "Well, you may as well buy a moose tag, and just in case you, you get done early, because caribou usually we get done early." So I did, uh, and three days later this ridiculous oh, yeah. big old big moves come it, and i shoot that and uh i was at sheep show this year yeah. uh, just in, in february uh in january and i walked by dustin's booth and dustin's waving me over he's like hey this guy just showed up he said he wants the randy newberg comp <laughs> looks at me he's like uh, 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 you could see him stuttering like what uh, uh, he's trying he's like is this for real and uh so I stood there and visited with him for a while to tell him how the hunt went for me and what a unique place the Cassie are. And I don't know if he ended up booking with Dustin or not. Maybe I scared him off. But just uh, <laughs> the the landscapes that you have in British Columbia are some of the most remarkable pieces of country I could ever get the chance to spread my legs in. I, I mean, just stretch your legs off you go. You know, just. You, you don't have roads in a lot of it. It's just horse trails and game trails. It's like, oh, man, to come here and do what, what I did is, oh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll never get to replicate that. Well, That's we got to have you back. You got to
1: come back. We'll have you back, Randy. Oh,
2: well, let, let me know. I mean, can I apply for this sheep? Uh, is it a raffle is that what they're
1: doing absolutely so you yep. get uh if you upgrade i'm sure you're probably as high as you can get in the in the foundation membership wise but mm-hmm. um, you upgrade or you if you're a one year you extend but you can also buy just tickets you can buy up to three tickets. Um, on your own. So uh, they're 50 bucks a pop and you buy, and we've limited to, I think actually it's either it might actually maybe went with five. It's either three or five. What we didn't want is somebody buying the hunt. We didn't want somebody coming in and dropping 25 grand and and not giving the average person a a shot at it. So yeah, you can either upgrade your membership renew, or if you, if you're, if you're already a summit life member, then you can just buy five, uh, five entries Mm -hmm. into it. Just give Maddie a call in the office and she'll set you up. So, yeah sounds like i better be calling maddie their their
2: office is only like two miles from the where i'm sitting there right oh. so maybe i'll just drive drive over there and throw down some some hard-earned cash but, yeah absolutely yeah, yeah no it's
1: huh. uh but cool. here's the problem if if you draw my name they'll think it's rigged <laughs> wait we, we get that a lot everyone everyone always <laughs> thinks it's rigged right you know and the funny thing is you get people that invest a lot of money in in the organization they buy a lot of tickets they buy and they win and then they're like well that's rigged because that guy you know he also won yeah but then also guys spent 2500 bucks on raffle tickets over there too right so <laughs> yeah anyway so yeah, yeah it's if, never if gonna if stop I had, if I had
2: all the money back that i've invested in raffles for conservation groups and i don't view do any of it as anything more than a donation really yeah but if i had all that back I could go on a couple of feet on this <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, you you guys, as volunteers, are doing more good with that money than it serves being in my bank account. So I have nothing but good feelings when I make those kind of donations.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. Time, treasure, talent, right? We need all three and, and you take one of them out of the equation and conservation doesn't happen. So yeah, well said. Well, Randy, thank you so much for your time. It's always a pleasure. We Mm -hmm. can talk all day, but I know you, Mm -hmm. you're a busy man and I really appreciate you taking the time to, to chat with us. And, uh, we'd love to have you back here in BC and chase some sheep or whatever we can get you up here for So thank you. You, 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 don't have to say that too many times, Kyle, <laughs> Steve.
2: You, you might look around one day, and here's some goofball from Montana sitting at the campfire next to you. But uh, more than welcome. Thanks for all. Yeah, but thanks for all you guys do. I, I don't say this to stroke anybody. I say this out of dear, you know, full appreciation that's in my heart for people who are committed like the two of you are, your fellow volunteers. This is. This is the core of what makes hunting in North America what it is. The the passion that you share, the the work you put into it, the time you give of it, you and your families. It's it it, it is so special and so unique to what the hunting world, hunting culture is. I can't thank you guys enough. And anytime I could ever help, I hope you reach out.
1: I appreciate that Randy and thank you again mm-hmm. for everything that you do. Just uh just a pleasure to to speak with you and, and just love what uh, the message that you're sending and just look forward to everything that you put out there. So thank you. Thanks guys. Have a great day.